This is Jessica. This is Kelly, the Chasing Brighter podcast. In today's podcast, Kelly and I are going to share about our own spiritual awakenings and our journeys stemming from being raised Catholic and going to Catholic school. How's it going today? Just peachy, just. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, It is a great day to have a birthday in Chicago. Um, It is currently 88 degrees here, which is amazing. And I don't care if I'm sweating. I'm just happy that there's heat. Um, I'm also happy. I obviously have air conditioning, so I'm getting a break here and there. But the one thing is, is with the weather change, my lips have been crazy dry. And I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to not have them crack in half and me die of blood loss. What are you using? Um, right now, I'm using um, Bag Balm. It's, um, it's like one of those old school um, lip things that people use for like dry cracked lips. I have been obsessed with Hanalei, H-A-N-A-L-E-I, Hanalei. That's, I don't even know. Okay. How I Where'd you get that at? I think I might've got it from Amazon. I was expecting, um, I was expecting you. Um, I'm glad that you like that. However, I was expecting you to say that you like the Laneige lip sleeping mask that I got you. You're right. But I for your birthday nighttime. Everyone in my home steals it. It has a big finger indention in it because everybody's using it. That lip it's a lip mask. I use it all the time. And on at night. I I don't I think you're supposed to use it at night because it's a mask, but I use it all the time. The one thing I like about that one is it's like perpetually moist, right? Like it doesn't dry off. Like some of these, I just feel like I put it on and then it just like evaporates after like 30 seconds. Well, if you want a little tube to toss in your bag, this Hanalei situation. And like, I kind of like lift my lips and I'm like, oh, what did I eat? And I'm kind of, I'm fasting right now. And I was like, what did I have that was sweet and vanilla and delicious? And I was like, oh, mm. it's my lip balm. So if you're fasting, you can eat your lip balm and it doesn't count against your fast in case you're wondering maybe toxic but yeah that's okay it's okay um i'm gonna pretend it's uh it's made in hawaii so it's local i support american made this american made product um what are you doing for your birthday i am every year i treat myself to a mocha so I had a mocha this morning, which was lovely. And um, you get one mocha a year, the end. Pretty much, yeah. One mocha a year, the end. I really try not to drink any sugary coffee drinks. So that's the only one that I like treat myself to. And it really starts back in the day. You know, I have my favorite coffee shop here in Chicago. And um, when the owner used to actually be the barista and I would say it was my birthday, he would make me a special drink and it was usually some sort of fancy mocha. And so I've kept on the tradition as ordering myself a mocha 
I didn't tell them it was my birthday. Thought about it, but I just wasn't feeling it. You know, sometimes I do tell people, sometimes I don't. I think people want to know what's your birthday. You know, it makes me sad when you hang out with people that you don't know that well, that don't say, hey, today's my birthday. Um, Because I think that people would want to know. And honestly, it does make you feel better when people say happy birthday. So I I feel like it's a public service announcement that you should tell people it's your birthday when it's your birthday. That's part of what the celebration is. I don't have any problem even like emailing my friends to say, hey, my birthday is this week. We need to go out to lunch or dinner or whatever it is, because otherwise people sometimes people aren't going to do it and they're happy to celebrate. Everyone wants to celebrate. Who doesn't want to celebrate? But sometimes you just have to be that initiator to like get it out there. Take the bull by the horns. Yes. So what are you doing then? We are going out to dinner tonight. The kids don't have any sports, which is a miraculous thing. Um, And so I made a reservation at a very delicious Italian restaurant here in Chicago called Piccolo Sogno, which everyone's been to. It's just a fabulous Italian place and it has an amazing patio and it's Northern Italian. So it's not like heavy tomato sauce based things. Um, But their patio is like out of a fairy tale. It's just gorgeous. It's lots of green ivy and just a wonderful atmosphere. So that's what we'll be doing. In Chicago, do a lot of restaurants have patios or is that like a rare? Um, It's hit or miss. It's probably 50-50 in a lot of ways, but some of them have amazing patios that you don't know, right? It's easy to see the patios that are like out in front are very visible, but a lot of them are storefronts that have this like secretly amazing patio in the back. Um, Piccolo is an example of a restaurant that's always had that. Other places have maybe built and invested and beefed up what they had previously with the pandemic. And I don't know many of those. You know, I don't know about you, Jess, but we're just starting to, I think we've talked about this. I'm just starting to get back out and go out to dinner and like recondition my children in getting out. And and they like it now, right? For like two, three months ago, they didn't even want to go out anywhere. You know, we all grew up when there was a special occasion, we would just, it was a big deal, right? In Kansas, that was Red Lobster, right? Or somewhere like that, that we just loved going to. I feel like it was the drive through of Long John Silver's during Lent. <laughs> that, was like... that was an exciting one too. Yeah, just going out without having to cook a meal was a big deal. Whereas here, you know, nowadays, I think everyone orders in so much and you're constantly doing all that, that... I don't think kids saw the value of like actually going out somewhere, but now I've kind of conditioned them. I think they do enjoy getting out of the house and going somewhere. You said something to me several years ago that sticks with me. And I had said something and you were like, how was it? And I said, it was really good. um, But you know, the kids were kind of crazy, blah, blah, blah. And you were like, isn't that everything? Like, everything would be better with your children not there in like a positive love and live and die for my children. But that's how I feel about eating out. I know, I know Beckett's a little bit older than my youngest, but it's not enjoyable. You know, three is, is just, we're outnumbered at two. I think we could manage it. But with that third kid, 
it's like, I don't know. And I think you're going to nicer restaurants. I mean, you're talking about a nice restaurant. Yes. Yes. Like tonight, the the table, don't use your knife to hit every single thing repeatedly. Um, Yeah. Tonight's like a white tablecloth kind of place, but um, you know, at home, I was joking with somebody where like we, you know, we recently moved into a house um, in the last year and we had a condo for 12 years and we had one television and we have like five TVs now, which is ridiculous. And um, we're always, the TV is always on, right? I mean, it's always watching TV. So I like going out because it just sort of removes that and you can have a conversation or get to know your kids in a way that you don't normally, but also I'll probably bring a deck of cards. We've been playing like go fish and stuff or like bring Uno cards. There's other things you can do um, to like have a family make dinner, make dining out like a family activity in some way. That's a little different. We did that. We, when we were in DC, we went to the spy museum and they had those like a whole wall of those toys that are world's tiniest. And I got the world's tiniest Uno deck and the oh, that's cool. Boggle. And it's the tiniest boggle with a little timer. It's so adorable. And when we were in DC, that was one of the best purchases I made. And we played Uno um, at every restaurant. And that was really helpful and fun. I guess I think it takes, when you're at home, it's relaxing. And for me, it's a little bit more of a stressor. You know, my youngest is a wild card. We don't know what will happen. Um, and so instead of teaching him to be a real human just to avoid going in public but after talking to you now I do think I need to start I don't you know like addressing table manners going out being able to enjoy each other's company because I for sure like at home dinner is not about eating it's about gathering and talking about your day and we definitely are a little serious about dinner at home well it's like in a lot of ways it's training your kids right so I think some of it with your youngest is a maturity thing anyway, just in the next year or two, he'll calm down anyway, but also like training your kids to be like, no, you can't like punch each other at the table when we go out to a nice dinner. Um, so, you know, it's back and forth, Yeah. but yeah, we only have two, so it's not as exhausting as three, but Gabs is probably pretty self-sufficient anyway. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, the older two are fine. Actually, they're fine. You know, um, so um, that's fun. I'm excited for your birthday dinner. We're dividing and conquering this week. We're still in major sports land. So we have one baseball game and one softball practice 40 to 50 minutes apart. So that's kind of every night. So we're still, we're still in that. Um, so we will be dividing and conquering. And usually, I remember years and years ago, I had a neighbor and she was like feeding her kids dinner at 3.30 or 4. And I made fun of her so bad. And that is cut to me at 3.30, making everyone's food. Whoever is traveling, they take their dinner to go. And um, so I will probably be making everyone's food at 3.30, 4 o'clock to then drive 45 minutes to a practice. But anyway, let's get to the podcast. Let's get to uh, our spiritual awakenings, our spiritual journeys. Um, do you want to start with where you're at or where you came from? You know, I'm I'm happy to get started on it. Um, I think 
um, when I think about the spiritual spiritual journey, I think about um, being happy and um, finding happiness. And what does happiness mean to me in terms of what makes me happy? Um, it's also a matter of really learning who you are as a person um, and being compassionate about yourself and who you are and just embracing that part. And um, just like anything else, um, you've got to constantly put work into it to get any results. Um, and so I think that for me, there are times where I'm putting a lot of effort into my own. It's not necessarily even self-improvement. It can be self-improvement, but just me as self-care, right? And there's different variations of self-care I've learned for myself too. Um, because in a lot of ways, I do a lot of, try to do a lot of things for myself um, as part of self-care, but there's also this sort of like, what I would consider to be um, enriching one's knowledge. So, you know, part of my, I think what really triggered me and my spiritual journey was, um, you know, am I happy? And then learning ways to sort of like gain perspective in terms of defining what happiness is and who I am as a person. So, um, you know, I think we both, have shared different steps of our own spiritual journey, which has been really great. Um, and I think a lot of those have been just as who we are as people being compassionate about ourselves and what we've gone through and stop beating ourselves up for maybe the things we aren't or have gone through and really just acknowledging those and healing some painful parts about maybe our past and um, moving forward. I think for me, when I think of my awakening, I would, I think about it as being connected to a spiritual source. Okay. So if people want to say that's God, Jesus, energy, a higher power, the goddess, whatever that is, right? Um, I would say I was probably, you know, agnostic for a very long time, bordering on atheist. Would you have ever thought, did you ever think, I mean, do you ever feel like you were at atheist at any point or would you label yourself as that? I go back and forth on that. I think um, I don't necessarily believe that there is life after death. I think like this is your life, so you need to make the most of it. And I think that that's why, you know, your happiness is here and now. It's not afterwards. Like that's a waste. What about like reincarnation or something like that? That would be awesome if that's true. But I think living as though this is your life, this is your chance, right? But I think um, from a God, however, higher power perspective, um, you know, that is absolutely just the core, the 
kind of cornerstone or foundation of like my overall faith. So it's very easy to have that and lean back on that in a lot of ways. Um, And when I think about, like you're saying, universe, higher power, you know, meditation, all those things, I think prayer is meditation. So I feel like, you know, as I've gone through this, I realized like, no matter what space or like mental, spiritual, philosophical model you have, there typically is this higher power of some sort, fate, God, like, I feel like all those things to me, I define as being more or less the same thing. There's, there's a power that's outside of you that you want to channel within you kind of a thing. When I hear you talk about prayer and meditation, this was really kind of profound to me, but you know, Russell Brand, the comedian actor, Mm -hmm. he's an author and super. Did you read his book? He's supposed to have a great book. Anyway, he was being interviewed by Jay Shetty. And, and for those of you who don't know, Jay Shetty is kind of, would you say like kind of a spiritual guru? Um, Yeah. I mean, his book, Think Like a Monk or a first book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he has a, a podcast on Cal. What's his podcast? Jay's podcast on purpose. His podcast on purpose. Yeah. Number one health podcast or something. Okay. Anyway, he, Russell Brand said, prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. And I love that. And I loved when I, I think what, so, so my journey quickly, we were raised Catholic. I was uber Catholic. We like prayed the rosary all the time. We prayed all the time. I got a lot of guilt and shame dumped on me. There were a lot of rules. Um, And I was an active Catholic even after marriage, even into my mid twenties. And then just the roles, I just was just becoming an activist and in social work in graduate school for social work. And just a lot of the um, views and rules and exclusions of the church just no longer worked for me. And I slowly just chipped and chipped away and kind of left the church and really just um, decided that I believed in an energy in the universe, like there was kind of an energy. Um, and then I think what really clicked for me was Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. And when she would say she would sit with her knowing and, and she would just sit and she said, maybe that's God. Maybe her knowing was God. That was really profound to me. And I still, for me personally, I shy away from saying God. Um, and so then I, I met with a spiritual healer and, um, I really had no idea what I was doing. A friend went to her and I always thought that a friend after my friend went to her, she was doing so well and was more positive. So I went and saw a spiritual healer. She's actually a, a theta healer. If you want to look that up, which is interesting. Spiritual coach. Is interesting. I what she was. Uh, well, a theta healer, actually, okay. the woman that started it um, said that she cured her own cancer. And then she started a university, was training people. And um, it wasn't a real accredited program. And this couple thought they were getting their real PhD. They were frustrated and they took her to court and debunked everything. And it turns out she never had cancer. Um, so I don't, 
So it's kind of funny. If I would have looked at that, I probably wouldn't have gone, but I didn't know what type of healing it was. So theta healing can be like physical healing, the physical body. Um, but I went and saw this woman who's incredibly talented and she kind of taps into you. And she sat across from me and said, you have a veil of sludge surrounding you. And you think that anybody who believes in God is stupid and weak. And how would, I don't know, that was just right on. And that was where I was. And, um, you know, I'm a, a therapist. I deal a lot with trauma and PTSD. And she tapped into a lot of that stuff on how was I, how was I myself being a healer and uh, taking it all on in myself. So that she, she recommended some books and a lot of the stuff that she said really had me realize I need to be tapped into a spiritual source. To me, meditation is allowing myself, opening myself up to have a spiritual source kind of run in me and run through me. And when I'm doing a great job at caring for myself, loving myself, all the things you said, I feel like I'm living in the flow. You know what I mean? Where you're just letting things, things wash over you. You're not trying to control things. You're not trying to, um, uh, focus on, uh, what you did right or what you did wrong or what happened yesterday, but you're trying to just really live in the moment and live in the flow. And that's what I strive for now. I think so to your point, how, you know, even how I kind of interpret that or how I've um, seen it for myself is um, self-compassion. I read, um, a book on self-compassion. Um, we'll probably put some of that stuff in our, our notes. Um, but I was, what's that? You know what the book was? Yeah, I'll look it up right now. But um, as I've always been hard on myself, I remember times where I would be really upset in bed as a kid, um, angry even. And, you know, my mom or our mom, um, would take me aside and say, you know, you're your own worst enemy. And I had this vision of, I always had this vision. And I think that's what's made me successful as a business person is I can jump to easily jump to how things should be, how baseball tournaments should be run, how meetings should be scheduled, how software should be implemented. All these things, I just jump to the perfection part in some way. And then comparing myself to that always. And so then beating myself up for not, not doing what I need to be doing. And instead of um, being kinder to myself internally and knowing like, listen, you're, you're doing a lot as it is, even as a mom, you know, gosh, with kids and, um, you know, you want them to do, you know, have the very best opportunities and do all these things and constantly like beating myself for, up for like not doing those because you do feel like you have control of things. Um, and what I've learned more of is like, that's crazy. <laughs> and I just need to be compassionate because you, nobody is like really judging me on that. Um, Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff is the book. And um, she's like a um, very thought out um expert on self-compassion. Um, and so uh, I've read a lot of 
books and other things that linked to her as well. And that was, I was, I think there was another book I read. So that's what I was looking up. So um, I want to read that book. That sounds amazing. And what's interesting is when I saw the spiritual healer and of 2020, she said, um, when people let you down, you blame yourself. And she could see my face kind of on this, you know, um, in, in my heart, she was like, you know, it's all of these other faces, but if you look behind, it's really you and you're upset with yourself. And I was like, no, you're, you're wrong. Uh, you've got in my mind, I was thinking she has that wrong. It's everyone else's fault. Um, I know it's their fault. I'm an incredibly reliable person. Um, I've learned in that session and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about it that I'm an empath. And as an empath, I overfunction for everyone. I think I'm in in charge of the energy of the room. So I'm always overdoing it. And so if someone, if I say to someone, I'll do this, I'll do that. I overcommit, I take on all this stuff and then people let me down. And so she was saying that I internalized that and I disagreed. And then it was like six or nine months later, it just hit me all these feelings of worthlessness because I'm the second child. So I think I have a false bravado. Like I remember watching you struggle. I remember watching you be hard on yourself. And I just came out confident. I was really confident. I didn't care what other people thought. Um, I would just do whatever um, and and not overthink everything. And I could see you doing that. Um, and it wasn't until, right, I'm in my early 40s that I'm like, oh, damn, right? Actually, underneath all of it, I have all of these feelings of worthlessness, um, just these deep feelings that I've, you know, I had to work really, really, really hard on um, to combat. And I think for me, spiritually, I look at it like, um, I love my children. They are so amazing. I love all of them so much. And so to think that there is a force, an energy, whatever, a higher power that loves me the same. And, and, and kind of comparing it that way. Do you know what I mean? Like comparing yep. that to like a parental love and allowing myself to be loved um, by a higher power and accepting that and meditation, allowing that to come over and realize, um, I really believe that we are um, spiritual beings having a human experience. So I think that we, as a spiritual being, choose our path here in, human, in humanity. And we choose that path and our goal in humanity is to tap into your spiritual purpose. And I think if you don't reach that, I believe in reincarnation and that you come back, you get to come back to try again, or you keep coming back to continue to elevate and evolve your spiritual being. Does that make any sense to other people? I don't care. I make it up. I listen to a book. I read a book. I meet with someone. I take on whatever I think fits with with what I'm doing here in this world um and so that's kind of where I'm at and so I try to remember if that makes sense right I'm a spiritual yeah. being and not to get wrapped up too much in the humanity sometimes well and so it goes back to one of the things I was saying which is you're doing the work like at the end of the day you got to do the work on yourself and it doesn't have to be constant it doesn't have to be you know it it's fits and starts life gets in the way sometimes but 
I think part of like self-care is really taking that time to, um, you can call it what you want, right? Self-help, self-improvement, um, but being more, the mindfulness around it um, and learning, you know, what you're, what you're about, right? And I was, as we're having this conversation, I'm looking down at my phone because I created a lot of notes. So I think, you know, just you journal, don't you? Yeah. No, and I don't as intensely as I, as I used to. You muted yourself. Some people, um, you know, I do think it's good to journal in some ways, because if you ever want to like write a book or start a blog or something, you have this like memory plus, so I started using notes. The other thing is, is as we get older, and especially as like life gets busy, I just don't remember things, right? So, and I, I mean, I remember like, what I mean is you don't remember feelings. So when something happens, sometimes it's hard to remember how you felt at that time. And it's easy when you're in moments that you can dwell on the happy parts, the sad parts of something and not really remember the whole picture. And I think part of this whole spiritual journey for me has been making a note of like things I've learned, things I want to remember, things I want to say. It's just like a laundry list. I look back to my notes. It's all random stuff. Sometimes it has something to do with my husband. Sometimes it has something to do with my kids. Sometimes it has to do with me personally um, of things that I've either learned or need to remember or whatever that is. And I think that's been really helpful for me because it's really, I think, internal. It's I've internalized it over time, too. So it's like I don't remember some things, but I know that I'm different now than I was before. Yeah, yeah. I think um, for me, journaling was because um, I compartmentalize pain. So if something, I don't know, bad, terrible, whatever happens, I'm just going to move past it. I'm just going to jump over it. I'm going to, you know, I look back. I When I had a miscarriage, I, I look back at the time framing. I'm not kidding you. I think I had like a miscarriage on a Thursday and was like, training for a half marathon on the Monday. I don't even know. Like I look back and that's just kind of like, okay, that happened. This is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to make a plan. We're going to fix it and keep on moving. And so for me, journaling was, I didn't want to do that. I realized I just kind of stuffed things and I wanted to allow myself to process my feelings and go over and over and over and allow myself to immerse myself in the feelings instead of just trying to jump over them. You know, that's saying you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You have to go through it. And I wanted to allow myself to go through it. Um, and with that, the journey of the empath, I know that um, everyone says they're an empath now. I know that's a big thing that's happening, but that was profound to me, right? That basically, um, I have a gift to sense other people's feelings and I can sense the vibe of the room. And now I can look through the lens of our childhood. And I feel like you were always calm, cool, collected because you didn't even allow yourself to experience any feelings. That's my yeah, I mean, what I saw. Right. Well, and I learned that, you know, again, through my own journey, working with therapists, doing my own reading, whatever it is, um, that I have a, I have emotional neglect. So I've learned to deal with very difficult things in a way that I can just like file them away and not, 
not address them, right? And I learned that that was called emotional neglect. So I don't really take care of my feelings a lot. Um, and it's probably why in a lot of ways, when I think about what is being happy is not only do I neglect my feelings when I'm sad or mad or anything else, and I don't tell people stuff, I just keep it internal, is I also neglect myself from happiness because I don't take a moment to be like, oh, wow, I'm happy. Like, this is happy. Yay, be happy. Like, don't feel selfish about it. Don't feel ashamed of um, the fact that you have this great life. And so, um, you know, that that's an that's, you know, just a work in progress always for me, I think, is just learning to, like, address my feelings and emotions. And it's hard as a parent, right? Because you're trying to raise your kids um, to, to have their best life and to do that in a much more, to me, effective and efficient way to learn from what I've gone through and how do you nurture that and foster that in them. And I think for me, what I learned, if this makes sense as an empath journey is you didn't have the feelings. And I had all of these feelings and I would just have these emotional outbursts, but those weren't my feelings. Does that make sense? Like I was feeling dad's anger. I was feeling mom's anxiety and I was, you know, exploding with those feelings, but they weren't mine. And so I would tell people, right? Like, oh, I'm emotional, right? I'm an emotional person. I'm really emotional. And looking back, it was because I wasn't protecting myself. I was just absorbing everyone else's energy. So I was so impacted in our childhood when things were not good because I felt responsible for everyone's happiness. And so then I was living my life for everyone else, right? I was making sure everyone's happy. Everyone's okay. And I was like, you know, number 200 on the list. I did not, it was not natural for me to put myself first because I needed to make sure everyone else is okay first. And what helped me really see that is because that's how Gabby, my 14 year old daughter is right maybe I'll be stressed. Not, I mean, not a big deal, normal stress. And she'll come in and say, are you okay, mom? Mom, are you okay? I'm fine. Are you sure, mom? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm fine. And then <clears throat> let's say her brothers were arguing and she'd be like, leave mom alone. Mom works really hard. Mom's really stressed out. And it was like, she would jump in and try to, right, take over the emotions of the room. And so seeing that outside of it, it's like, that's how I am. That must've been what I was doing. And so that's so new to me. I read um, the new book, Sensitive is a New Strong, and seeing that, like realizing how much shame I experienced because I was told I was too sensitive. I can't even tell you how many times I was told I was too sensitive. So I felt a lot of shame um, about being sensitive to other people's emotions. And so I locked that down and I, I just shut that part of me down. I felt like it was hard for me to like, um, I just kept everything internal. Like I feel like I built this like alternative view of myself and my life um, because, you know, it was in some ways it was hard to get a lot of support outside of that. I think, um, you know, things, I think that, a lot of things went well for me growing up and things came easy in some ways and some things came easy for me and um, I couldn't own that success because I felt like that was selfish of me. 
like, I think it was hard to like have my own identity in a way that was um, embraced positively or something. Um, by everyone so, else or by you? What? By everyone else or by you? you by me. Identity. Yeah. Yeah. By me. Right. And just owning who I am and sort of like, if I look back through growing up in some way, I sort of saw myself in third person, like going around the life, going around life and not really owning who I was and not really owning me as Kelly and being confident in myself and self-assured in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that had more of an impact in a lot of my relationships growing up too. Um, and that's definitely something I want my kids to, you know, just be who they are, own themselves, right? Be self-assured. Um, don't, don't be afraid. I felt like I was maybe more meek or let other people like have, you know, this is what we've talked about, right? Like letting other people have a stronger voice and not letting myself have a stronger voice. Like I'm, I'm um, more of the people that I was a people pleaser, but I was more of those that I didn't, I just kind of like didn't have a strong voice. Um, and I think what, what I've been able to learn from that is in a lot of ways, I'm a, I think I'm a really good leader because I usually do a good job of building camaraderie and consensus and letting everybody feel a part of something because I'm not going to like steamroll everybody on my opinions because I want everybody to be happy. Sometimes it does me a disservice because I don't truly take on um, a hard line of something. Um, because I'm too worried about everybody else. And so I think as I've gotten older, that's what I've learned to like, not worry about is you can't please everybody. So just worry about the people you can please or worry about how you can drive something forward, knowing that you can't make everybody happy. I really hear you talking so much about vulnerability. Yes. Right. When you and relationships, like it's like you put on a Kelly mask. Oh yeah, I'm for sure. And I Kelly mask and you were living the the masked Kelly life for a long time. Yeah. And I, I mean, one of my good friends, um, her and I always talked about, like, I saw this thing where it was like, um, if things weren't the way I needed them to be, I just put them over this wall that was like sealed off. So I could compartmentalize very well. I can just sort of like immediately take something, file it away and move on and not deal with those emotions. And I think that was what kind of now, you know, we're constantly working on like, at dealing with emotions instead of like putting them away and keeping moving forward because realistically people kind of need to know where you are too. So if things don't go well, you know, my husband and I, we never fought, we never fight because we both learned how to, how to kind of do that in a way that we just like accept it and move on. And what we've realized is like over the time that chips away at the relationship um, as it does with anything else. And especially in a, in a marriage, once you do that, and after you've been married for a long time, it gets really hard to unwind those little things and repair that and re recover from, you know, whatever that is. So, and just um, a side note, how long have you been married? Um, it's almost 16 years, 15. Yeah. Almost 16 years. And, and um, but going back to your, yeah, so I'm, I just wanted to just just 
note that I'm better than you real quick. If you want to put that in the show now. Oh yeah. How long have you guys been married? I'm better than you. How long were you? 21. <laughs> you're going to be 21. 21. But we have been with both of us have been with our partners the exact same amount of time since 99, which is so crazy. We're so old. Um, but following up on the vulnerability part is, um, Brene Brown is killer on the vulnerability stuff. It's of imperfection. And I haven't read that, but daring greatly and, um, braving the wilderness and her podcast and her Netflix show, um, HBO max special coming out. And can I just side note, she has a reel going around on Instagram. And she is saying, when our kids turn about fourth grade, we talk to them about candle blower outers. Have you and I had this conversation? No. I, I like took it and I sent it to my 11 and 14 year old and said, what do you guys think about this? And she said, candle blower outers. We all have a candle. And is your friend one that when your light shines bright, are they trying to blow out your candle? Or are they someone that's happy that you have a bright light? And she gave this whole analogy, which I thought was so amazing. So I had a conversation with my kids. Uh, my 14-year-old is incredibly emotionally intelligent. My 11-year-old's not so much. So we were trying to talk about it. But like, think about, I think about it like an abundance mindset, right? We all, why can't everyone have a bright candle, right? There's not this scarcity of like, there's only enough for four people to have a bright candle, but you talk about that. And I think about that too. Also, do you have relationships that you've cultivated that allow you to be vulnerable or have you been around people, right? Who are blowing out your candle all the time. So then you don't feel safe to be vulnerable or to let your light shine bright. And it sounds like you were your own candle blower outer. Well, I also was afraid other people were going to blow out my candle. I definitely didn't feel like, and I mean, aside from enough to, to handle it, like that you wouldn't have been resilient enough if they would have done that. Yeah. I mean, it's more like family, I would say. Um, my friends. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like my friends were, you know, I think they probably would have been more um, helpful for me keeping my candle going. Um at the time. Um, and friendships now, I definitely am. I cut people out with their, you know, it's just harder. It, now you get, you know, it's like you, as you get older, you're just like, you know, what, I don't have time for friendships I don't enjoy. Um, and you have limited time, right? You have limited time. And so yeah. if I'm going to carve time out of my day, I want it to be this enjoyable, reciprocal relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's a great analogy um, to think about for my kids. Um, the other um, really great book that did that I had on my spiritual journey that made a difference, and I it's a book that there are a lot of these books I just need to reread too. Is um, a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. Did you read that? Mindset. Mindset. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think. I think so. it's also a good book for um, you know, ki kids to read. I don't know what age, um, but it's really kind of this holistic view of, you know, um, a growth 
mindset versus a fixed mindset and how, um, you know, how everything we do is in that realm, right? So if you say something like, well, you know, I can't, I can't, I hate my job, but I'm not gonna be able to get another job. So I'll just stay here, right? That's a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, which is like, wow, you know, I have a lot of great skills to offer a new employer and I can start maybe thinking about other ways to start pursuing another job. Um, but just, you know, it, I, I think it's the same thing as like when you people, like when mom used to say, Kelly, you're on your worst enemy, where it's like those times where you are upset that something's not going your way and feeling like you don't have a way out is a fixed mindset and thinking about trying to approach life in a growth mindset where there's always opportunities. There's always, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow, you know, all those things where there's this, there is a better, there's something better around the corner. If you think that if you have the mindset that it is that way. And to follow, oh, go ahead. Do you still oh, no, I just, I mean, I know I'm not very articulate about these things um, on the fly, but. I think two things. Number one, you're way further on this self-help book, spiritual book journey than I am, because I just want to note to our listeners, I am what I call a recovering know-it-all in which people would recommend things to me. And I would think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need to hear that. I don't need to read that. I don't have time for that. And so I think I'm very new on the journey and I know you've read so much more than I have, but in um, piggybacking on you talking about the growth mindset, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. And, you know, what that means is that um, what we, you know, something happens and we give that meaning. And so like you're saying, boss yells at you, uh, unhappy at the job, right? Boss yells at you. You can think, you know, this job sucks, but I have to stay here, blah, blah, blah. Or, right, you can have positive, empowering and realistic self-talk. I'm going to get my resume together. There are other jobs out there, you know, so just how powerful our minds can be and then what we think will impact our feelings, which then will ultimately impact our behavior. So that is so in line with so much of what I do. And I think that I know I've heard people talk about that book and so much about, you know, habits and abundance, but I think I am super Pollyanna. I remember my best friend in high school would call me Susie Sunshine. You know, I've always been like, well, that's okay. Or, you know, like, I don't know if that was confidence, but we lost, but that's okay. Cause we're still better than them. You know, like, you know well, and, lose and still spin it on how great I still to, was. To your point, one of the great advice pieces I got from my therapist um, was like, when I'm going through something difficult and I'm beating myself up, what would I tell a friend if they were going through the same thing? And what I found with that exercise was I am so nice to my friends and I'm so mean to myself, right? Like, especially if it's something like, oh my God, this meeting, this, you know, my client is so mean and so rude. And I just, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I can't get out of this. And instead of like, well, what would you tell your friend? 
I would tell my friend that like, go get them. It's okay. You know what I mean? Um, and it made me, it really helps flip the script. I think that's the idea. And that's the thing where our minds are like the greatest thing ever and the worst thing ever, because we just tear ourselves up sometimes or develop this really um, toxic narrative about situations that don't have to be that way. Right. Um, And I feel like that's where books for me help me learn more. And it doesn't have to be books. It doesn't have to be. It's, I think the reason we call it this journey is it's moving forward. It's the Mark Twain. If you're not pedaling the bicycle, you can't move forward kind of thing where you just have to kind of keep, keep going. Um, and so if you're sitting here saying, poor me, you're not going anywhere. And so there's a ton of resources out there and a ton of different ways that you can do that. Talking to people, talking to a therapist, reading a book, listening to a podcast, doing meditation, have a life coach, right? Whatever, whatever works for you for sure. Like, I don't think there's one way. And it's like, you're saying, um, it's like recognizing that we're always growing, changing and evolving. And what I believe right now will probably be different next week and next month and next year. And that's okay. Um, and, uh, speaking of books, what I'm reading right now, cause you're talking about the power of the brain. I'm finally reading power versus force. If that's the real true book, um, that someone recommended to me, maybe a spiritual healer and it, the scientist um, was doing actual studies, basically that all of us are connected to, like, if you think of a, a computer system where we're connected to like a central database. So what they're doing, I'm so early on in the book, but they'll have participants put their arm out like this straight out, totally straight out. The researcher uh, tries with to, so the person has their left arm out, the researcher comes and puts the hand between the elbow and the wrist and tries to push the person's hand down. Okay. And then they expose them to negative things and positive things. So like they will tell them a lie and they'll push it down and they'll tell them the truth and they'll push it down. And people are, um, like weaker if they are told a lie and it's not necessarily like they did it across cultures, across people, across people's knowledge base. So like, if I just said, um, I grew up in a town where there was a volcano, right? How the hell would the stranger know that? And they'd push the arm down and then they would be like weaker. If you told them a lie, if you you put them around more toxic stuff, um, like just, like in an envelope, they just said they've set an envelope in front of them and they push their arm down. It, it's just, and so they, he's talking about um, kind of, uh, I don't know if you'd say psychic ability, maybe he'd say intuition that we have this intuition that our brain is really powerful. Anyways, isn't that so, so fascinating? And he's putting research and science to back it up and be behind it. So that's so fascinating. I think that just kind of follows up with how powerful our brains are. And that's the, the, the spiritual book I'm reading right now. What are you reading anything right now? Um, I just started a book. It was, um, I think it was like an, I do a lot of audibles. Um, and I think it was like on sale at one time. 
Um, but it's called You Belong. And um, it's like the whole description about it was like um, exploring our tangled relationship with belonging, connection, and each other. Um, so it kind of goes into what you were saying, just how yeah. we're connected people. And, um, you know, I think for me, what, um, what attracted, attracted me to the book was um, the end of the day, I think as a human being, this having a sense of belonging is like a really important aspect. And so that's why I wanted to read the book. I, I finished the book, What Happened to You? It's a book about trauma. It's conversations with Oprah Winfrey and, and Dr. Bruce Perry. It's a, kind of just about trauma. I think they're hoping to have more trauma-informed programs around the country. But one of the things they talk so much about is community and how healing community is and how we need to have our own tribe or, or village. But I would say for me, if just my last little piece on our spiritual journey is if I don't mention the four agreements, um, that would be sad to me. But I read the four agreements and that is such an incredibly powerful book and talk about a book that you can read over and over. It's only 120 some pages. Mm -hmm. um, I listened yeah. to the audible at my daughter's practice. I just went for a walk and listened to the whole thing in one day. And those agreements are so powerful you know, the first agreement, be impeccable with your word. The second agreement, don't take anything personally. Mm -hmm. And that's like what you're talking about. You oh, yeah. cannot define you. Other, yeah. It's not, not taking things negatively, but also people can't tell you you're great. You're beautiful. You're smart. You're pretty just as much as they can't tell you you're dumb. You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. Right. Like people cannot tell you who you are and define your reality. It's yeah. And I think the big part of that too, just following up on that one was learning that like, it's like this reflected sense of self, right? So it's like, you're defining yourself based on what other people see you as what you think other people see you as versus, you know, who you are as a person. And, uh, and, you know, don't make assumptions, which I think I've mm -hmm. done a lot in the past, particularly in my marriage, super hard, my relationships, yeah. you know, and then finally, like he just, so the fourth agreement is so easy, right? Do your best. You're going to mess up. I saw my dogs in the background doing some crazy. Yeah, no, I, I think that one is also, you know, cause these are all, this is where I think all these things, it's like, you can't go wrong on like your self-improvement journey. Um, by just, again, learning all of these different, different resources. But I think the four agreements is a fantastic way to start too, right? Um, the always do your best is a cool, a cool way to think about it. Um, it's four things to remember. It's, it's an easy, quick book to get people started. And it's definitely something like you're saying, you can always refer back to um, throughout your life. Is there anything else you want to share? about your journey or anything else you recommend? I know we're going to put all of this in the show notes. Um, you know, I just say it, it never stops. And, um, you know, I looked back at the last, um, what I would call like self-help book I read before this You Belong and it had been a while. So, you know, I think you just kind of have to let, let life um, continue on and, and squeeze in times where you can when you're not, reading there's always meditations i think maybe just what we can do is kind of think about in the resources part of the notes is like 
the simple things to get started versus other things as you want to deepen your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Even, and even five, I think I just posted something like that. Five minutes of meditation a day has so many incredible benefits, right? Even just spending five minutes a day trying to, um, to tap into yourself. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on ChasingBrighter.com or on YouTube at ChasingBrighter or on Instagram at ChasingBrighter.